Why don't you just stretch out your hands towards Murray and just say more, Holy Spirit. More for you, my love. Ooh, more than we could ask or imagine, right? <laughs> oh, oh. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Think you need to have another drink. Let's just take a moment. Oh. Oh, how good is God? That's right. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. You know, let's just take a moment. Let's take a moment to worship him again. Jesus is so good and he's so kind and he's so lovely and he's so here. And he's so beckoning us and calling us into his love and into his glory into a new expression and a new encounter. You know, yesterday's bread is not good enough. There's bread for today. The bread from five minutes ago is gone stale. There's more. You don't need to eat that. There's another experience of God. So I want you just to take a moment in your heart just to adore him. Just, just let praise rise. And you can go quiet or you can go loud. I don't mind which way. Just don't let me do all the praising, okay? Holy Spirit, we love your presence and we worship you. You're the one that we want, Lord. You're our passion. You are our desire. And you are our inheritance. We love that description in John 17 where you said, Jesus, this is eternal life. To know God and to know the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. I thank you that for all of eternity, there's no need in the new heaven and a new earth for the sun because you are our light and you're our glory. And Jesus, we worship you. Ancient of days, we honor you. Holy Spirit, we magnify your name. And we ask this afternoon and in our lives, Holy Spirit, you would magnify the beautiful name of Jesus and you would cause your glory to arise upon us and to shine out of us. As we set our faces on worship and obedience, You know, Catch the Fire, Raleigh, Durham, we're a, a people of his presence. We're a people of his presence. That's our number one goal, our number one aim, our number one invitation. He has drawn near to us that we could draw near to him. And we love and we honor his presence amongst us.
Yes, Lord, you are so good. You know, last week, Mark DuPont preached an amazing message for our 10-year anniversary, and part of that message was that he was moving, God was moving us from the tent of uh, tabernacle of David, which is where David got to, he set up the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem, and he would sit before the Lord and experience God's presence. And Mark said that he's moving us from that place of, of sitting before the Lord's presence to the Solomon's temple, which was falling flat on our faces in the glory realm. And we've got a prophetic, prophetic word about the glory coming in October. And we've, we've got these words around, around the place about God doing a new thing and God, God birthing revival in us and, and all of those kind of things. But it all comes from the presence of God. It's the presence of God that we want. It's the presence of God that we need. You know, the presence of God is his very person. The presence of God, you can't have God's presence without his person. They're one and the same thing. You, you, you can be in God's presence. You don't have necessarily have any connection with him, but to know his presence is to know his person. And we want to be a church that is full of his presence and the person of Christ. And the, per, and the presence of God is one of those great themes in the Bible of, of God dwelling amongst his people. In fact, the whole story from the beginning to the end is a God of relationship who loves to dwell with his people, who has actually created us to be a dwelling place for him and to dwell with him forever. That's why I love the book of Revelation because we see the end and the end is glorious and the end is Jesus and the end is relationship and the end is to live in the glorious presence of God for all of eternity just with perfection affection himself. What a vision of beauty. And so we have this theme all the way through the Bible, right from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling, hovering over the waters, over that which was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovering and dwelling, and then creates, the creative power of God explodes. And we see then in, in Genesis chapter 2, God plants a garden for Adam and Eve after creating Adam and Eve, and he, and he puts us, Adam and Eve, into the Garden of Eden, and that garden is characterized by his presence as he walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He's the God of the presence. You know, the, in, the, in the Old Testament, the, in the Hebrew, the word presence actually means face. Wow. You see God's face. To, to, have the, to experience the presence of God is to experience his face, his closeness, his nearness, his glory, his love, his splendor and his majesty. And most of the time when you read about the presence of God and the glory of God, there's a whole bunch of people that are normally falling flat on their faces. And so right through the Bible, we see this in, 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 in Exodus chapter 13, as, as the ancient Israelites, they come out of Egypt, and God does miraculous things to bring them out after um, Moses seeing the burning bush and the commission, of, and then there's these miraculous things that God does, and they come out into the wilderness, and their wilderness, there's, they're wandering in the wilderness, and God sends a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and they gather, and they walk, and they're guided by the pillar the presence of God. In fact, when they build the tabernacle, they actually set up all of the, 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 the tribes around the glory. They camp around the glory. And the presence of God is with them and he's guiding them. And it's not just something like he's sending an angel. No, it's, it's actually himself. It's his very presence. And so in, in, in Exodus chapter 33, I'm just doing a little survey for you. Right In Exodus chapter 33, um, 
Moses has been up in the mountain and he's getting the, the, the law, the tablets of stone and he, the God's been speaking to him and he's been up there for 40 days and, and he comes, as he comes back down, he's hearing the tumult and he's wondering what's going on and they find out that, that, that Aaron has taken all of their gold and made it into a calf. And they're all worshipping this calf. And, and, and Moses is flat out mad, as his God is, as you would imagine, right? He's been up with God, and they're all down there worshipping this idol. And, and, he, and he comes down, and he, and he destroys the idol, and God is angry. And God says, hey, listen, listen, if I'm with these people, I'm so mad with them that I'll just put them to death. So you go, and I'll send an angel. And Moses' response is, uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, time, time out. Time out. I, we can't go if you don't come. There's no point in going if you don't come. You're the only thing around here that sets us apart from all the other nations of the world because the purpose of, of Abraham's call, of God's call to Abraham, was to say, I'm going to set you apart to be a people of blessing for the whole earth and my presence will be with you. And so Moses is in this place of crisis and he's saying, God, if your presence doesn't come with me, don't send me. I mean, like three times he's saying, don't send me. Your presence must come. Your presence must come. And I just, I, I just got this realization. You know, Moses was on his way to the promised land. And he says, if, if you don't go up with us from here, don't send us. Where is he? He's in the desert. He's in a wilderness. And what he's saying is, listen, I, the, the, all the stuff of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the great grapes and the other things that we're going to enjoy, I don't want any of that if it's not with your presence. And he says, I am so, in fact, I, in fact, I would rather stay here in a desert where there's no water and there's no food and there's just sand and everyone's miserable and complaining. I just want to stay here if you're not coming with us because no matter how good that place is, without you it's rubbish. And so and Moses has a tent and he, and he pitches the tent and the, every time he goes into the tent, I love this, it says he puts, pitches the tent outside of the camp and Moses goes there and all the Israelites, they stand up and they watch Moses going and as Moses comes into the tent, God's glory comes and follows him and stands at the tent. It's not like he goes to the glory, he goes to the tent and the glory follows him. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. And then they build a tabernacle. And as they build the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, it's a tent that they carry around. The glory of God comes as a cloud. That cloud comes into the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord in the cloud and the fire is above the tabernacle. And they don't go until the glory lifts. And when the glory lifts, they go. And when the glory stops, they stop. The presence of God dwelling. And all of the Israelites, they've, they've camped around the presence and the glory. We're a people of his presence. We've been called to camp around his glory. And so, you know, you scroll forward and you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and chapter 7, which is the story of Jonathan um, Solomon uh, building the temple to God's instructions and God's design. God gives him a, some plans and purposes, you know, and, and, and he says, build it this way. And, and so he, Solomon builds it, and, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, he appoints uh, a, a couple of the leaders, Jaduthan and Heman and a few other people, to lead the, the praise and the singing. And then he appoints 120 priests with cymbals and with trumpets and other musical instruments. And they're going to call out and they're going to sing and they're going to worship God for the dedication of the temple. Except the only thing, the glory cloud shows up. 
The God of glory falls and it says that the priests could not even go into the temple that, God's, that they've built for God because the cloud of glory was there. And then in chapter 7, they, after Solomon's given a speech and a prayer, then they have uh, offering sacrifices on the altar and the fire of God falls to the point where the priests can't go in and all of the people fall flat on their faces which is the prophecy that Mark gave us. And all the people fall flat on their faces and the encounter with God in, in, that Moses had in Exodus chapter 33 where God says, I'm gonna cause, because Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And so God causes all of his goodness to pass by. You know that the goodness and the glory of God are the same thing. God's glory is his goodness. And so when, they, when the glory comes and, and the Solomon temple and they're all flat on their faces, what is the song that they sing? God, you're so good. And your steadfast love endures forever. We don't just sing about the goodness of God because it's a nice twee thing to sing about. We sing about the goodness of God because it's his glory. If it's the glory of God, to, of glory of man to over, overlook a, a sin, how much more the glory of God in his goodness. And so the, 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 they, they, they come, the, the Holy Spirit falls. Now they, they live with the temple for a long time period of time they don't see clouds again but the glory is always there just ask the priests who can only go into the glory once a year but then in Ezekiel chapter 10 we see that the ancient Israelites because of their uh, lack of faith because of their breaking in the covenant that what we what Ezekiel sees that Ezekiel gets taken off into captivity and he's in he's in um, Babylon or in that area and um and because and because of Israel's sin, they uh, they go out into captivity. And Israel, uh, Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of God coming out of the temple. And, and in Ezekiel's vision, the glory of God comes out and then leaves the temple. And they have a temple, but no glory, no presence. And actually, then that temple gets completely destroyed. And they rebuild the, a second temple. Herod rebuilds a second temple, which is around in the time of Jesus. But there's no story of glory. There's no evidence of a cloud. There's no sense of the presence of God coming upon them. There's no glory at all until some angels show up. And they say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to all men. The birth of Jesus Christ. And the glorious one comes, the one whom the temple points to, the one whom Moses has been pointing to, the law and the prophets, the one who they've been pointing to, the man of glory, Ezekiel. In chapter one, he sees this vision of a man, not just God on a throne, but a man. And he's fire from the waist up and he's fire from the waist down. He's the man of fo on fire in the glory. And he sees a man and Jesus comes along as the man of glory in the fire. And in, in, in John chapter one, in John chapter 1 verse 14 John as he's reflecting on what they've just experienced of God what, they, what John writes under the influence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is and the word who's the word Jesus the eternal word the logos of God he became flesh and what dwelt among us he dwelt among us, it's his presence again, but now not in a temple form, but in a body form. The glory of Jesus. And we have seen his glory, John says, 
His glory. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There it is again, the goodness of God. Grace and truth. We see the glory of God. Grace and truth manifested in the goodness of Jesus. And so Jesus is coming. Well, how is he full of glory? Well, he's full of glory because he's hearing what the Father's saying and he's fully manifesting and representing the God of glory to our hearts. He doesn't just come along and say, hey, God's good. He comes along and he says, hey, God's good. And I'm gonna show you how good he is by raising that son who, uh, to the, uh, who, of, a, of, a, of a widow. I'm gonna raise him from the dead. Get up and walk. He shows us how good he is by coming alongside and healing the blind eyes and opening the deaf ears. He shows us how good he is by coming alongside a woman who's been caught in adultery, who everyone wants to stone. And, they, and he says, hey, where's your accusers? Nobody accuses you. Well, neither do I, but go and sin no more. Yeah. And it's the goodness of God being re revealed and released. And in, in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter one even, verse three, I'm getting carried away. Hebrews chapter one, Starts this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Actually, in the, in the Greek, there is no his. It says, and he has spoken to us by son. Jesus is the language of God. He's the word. He's spoken to us. What is the language that God speaks? He speaks son. He speaks Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this. He goes, but in this last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the glorious one. He's the exact representation. You want to know what the glory of God looks like? Don't look for a cloud. Look for Jesus. The cloud's just pointing to Jesus. We don't need to look for clouds. Now, sometimes in history, God's brought a cloud, and there's been visible manifestations of the cloud of glory, but we're not looking for the cloud. We're looking to Jesus. We're looking for the majesty of Christ in his power and his glory and in his, his ability to heal and save and deliver and set free and speak love and speak life and call us out of our darkness into, our, into the glorious, beautiful sonship of Christ. Ah! And we want to know what God's like when well, we see Jesus. We want to know what the glory of God is like when well, we see the glory in Jesus and Jesus' mission is to come and reveal the Father's glory and to lead many sons back to glory. And the mission of the cross, as Jesus is on the cross and he's, he's dying and he's taking all of the sin and all of the beating and all of the, the, the separation and all of the guilt and all of the shame and all of the condemnation and all of the punishment upon himself for our sins as he's hanging on the cross and he's hanging on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them. He's receiving the punishment that was due for us. And in that moment, he's enabling us. He's fusing us relationally with him forever and when we say yes to him, that we now get to be people that are with Jesus in the glory. And that's your destiny. It's not based on your ability, not based on your, 
your, your goodness, not based on your power, but based on the goodness and the power and the majesty and the finished work of Christ, who is now no longer on the cross. He's not even in the grave. He's not even walking around the earth. He's been glorified to all, above all things. Forgive me if I'm getting excited, but ah! Woo! You know, and there's a glory that, there's a glory that comes because of your, because it's worth it, right? And there's a glory that, that is God's because he's, he's so worth it that he gets the honor and the glory. But there's also a glory, and Jesus had that glory, but there's also a glory that comes by what you do. And Jesus' glory isn't just because of his majesty, but it's because he was a son who went low and became a servant and, and fulfilled everything that God's wanted him to fulfill. And because of his obedience to death, even death upon the cross, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He is champion of heaven. He's the Lord of all things. And so his glory is not just his inherent goodness, but it's inherent goodness expressed in his deeds and his actions activity for us who believe. But Jesus is saying, listen, in John chapter 7, he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John says, this he meant by the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus goes to the cross, death, resurrection. His glory, he's glorified. He's taken us with him. He's led, as Hebrews 1 says, many sons to glory. You and I scoop back up into the Father's love, into the embrace of God, into the glory realm. And so we're there in the glory. But Jesus says, hey, but wait. First of all, he says, it's better that I should go than stay because I'm going to send the promise of the Father to you. What's the promise of the Father? The glory of God. Jesus says in John 17 the and 23, the glory that I have given, that you have given me, I have given them. But he's saying that in the Holy Spirit, where you've got to wait. You've got to wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth, Acts chapter one, verse eight. And the Holy Spirit, they're waiting. Why are they waiting? They're, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the glory. And then Acts chapter two, they're together. Now listen, get this. Solomon. In his temple, when he's dedicating his temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, it says he appointed 120 priests to, to declare and to trumpet what God was doing. Plus a couple of other leaders. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, God, it says that there were about 120 people in the upper room. And what happens when, the, when, when Pentecost comes? What comes is the cloud and the glory, the fire of God falls upon them. The fire of the Holy Spirit falls upon those 120 people and a new temple is born. A new level of glory is born. The spirit that was upon Jesus who is the manifestation of the glory, it's not just that Jesus has some glory, he is glory, right? But that the Holy Spirit now put upon the people and as we've received the Holy Spirit from that moment on, what are we receiving? We're receiving the Spirit of glory. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 4, Paul, uh, Peter's writing in connection to suffering and he says, but you've received the Spirit of glory. 
very glorious one. Why did Jesus have to be glorified? Because he was going to send his spirit of glory to us. And so his glory, he's glorified. And they get filled up with the Holy Spirit and the power of God falls upon them and it's like a whole new temple. Paul goes on to write, he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the dwelling place of God. You're the place where his glory resides, both individually and then corporately together as we get together. There's an expression of the glory of God. And if there's no expression of the glory of God, we should just walk out of here. Because we're created for glory. And I've just been repenting. I felt the Holy Spirit just tugging on my heart to say, listen, you've, you've, you've dumbed down for me. You've, you've taken a low view of the Holy Spirit. But he's not just a little helper. He's the spirit of glory. He's one just like Jesus. If Jesus is the exact image and representation of the Father and Jesus says, I'm going to send another one just like me, and if Jesus is the glory of the Father, then the Holy Spirit must also be the glory of the Father and of the Son. But we've taken the Holy Spirit, I have taken the Holy Spirit so lightly. But he is the glory of God and his purpose is to point us to Jesus. And so that's why Paul's able to write in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and he's saying, we behold his glory as in a mirror, verse 18. We behold his glory dimly as in a mirror, but we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. The Holy Spirit's leading us to the glory of Jesus. We experience the glory of Jesus. As we experience the glory of Jesus, we're transformed into his likeness and we become the exact imprint of his nature. I'm a long way from that, but there's, some, there's the spirit of glory on the inside that's causing me to become that. And together we become that, absolutely. And so we, we experience that glory. And so Paul's also in 2 Corinthians 4, he also goes on to say, but it's the Spirit who has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Where do we see the glory of God? In the face of Christ Jesus. You want to see the glory of God? Who are you looking for? The face of Jesus. The beautiful face of Jesus, the gracious face of Jesus, the Lamb of God and the fierce Lion of God. We're looking into the face of the beautiful Savior. And the, uh, we see the image of God. We see the glory of God when we stare at Christ. It reminds me of, of Revelation chapter 5 as John's in the throne room and he's seeing that there's a scroll and that no one can take the scroll and no one's worthy to open its seals. And the elder turns to him and says, hey, don't weep, behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he has overcome. Do not weep, behold. What are we gazing at? What are we gazing at, church? Catch the fire, Raleigh, Durham. What are you gazing at? Are you gazing at the face of Jesus? Are you gazing at his majesty and his beauty? You know, we can, we can seek things like revival and I love those prophetic words that we got about revival coming and the glory of, you know, and people getting saved and healed and set free, which is the God's glory, right? People getting saved, set free, healed and delivered is a manifestation of the glory of God because it's his goodness on display. So I want that. 
It's actually what God's, Jesus has won for us on the cross. It's what the Holy Spirit coming has actually empowered us to receive and to, to believe and to do because there's now glory that God's got on the inside of each one of us that he wants to manifest to those around us. But that glory can't be going just after the, the hand of God. It first and foremost must be the face of God to stare at the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Spirit of glory, we welcome you. Spirit of glory, thicken your presence. Oh, we just declare a shift. We feel it. Bro, come and share that, what you were sharing about Colossians. Murray's just asked me to share what I was when after Murray had preached in the first uh, service I gave an invitation I'm sure he'll do it again now and as I came up and as I was on my face before the Lord and I was staring into those fiery eyes and into his face that shines like the sun. And I was saying, God, God of glory, show us your glory. And, and I just began to think, suddenly I realized Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And, of course, the reality is that we have the fullness of God dwelling on the inside of us, but there's so much more of Him on the outside of us that we can have. And so, I began to think about this, and I, 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 I was in this place, we've been wrestling, we were wrestling all the way down, trying to figure out, how do we, how do we marry this reality of Christ in us, and also, and, and live up to the fullness of that, but also the reality that there's just so much more for us in him. And as a whole church and as a whole cities, to experience of his glory over our cities. It's not just about the church. This church is about his glory coming and settling upon Raleigh and his glory coming and settling upon Durham. And Chapel Hill, and then as I was on the floor there, the Holy Spirit just opened my eyes. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not just end times glory. It's a daily invitation of glory. It's us being wooed by the Holy Spirit, being drawn by the Holy Spirit into an ever-increasing experience of His glorious face in the face of Christ. Every single day. And because he's on the inside of us, we can know him. Face to face. But there's just so much more, everybody, than we've ever experienced before. Amen. 
So just take a moment, let's just turn our affections back to the Lord of glory, the Spirit of glory, the Father of glory. It's interesting that all members of the Trinity are referred to as glory. It's the Father of glory. It's the glory of of the Son. And there's the Spirit of glory. Just take a moment just to adore Him, just to turn your affection back to Him. There's healing in the glory. There's freedom in the glory. There's life in the glory. There's healing in the glory. There's joy in the glory. There's peace in the glory. There's commissioning in the glory. There's alignment in the glory. There's provision in the glory. There's leadership in the glory. There's direction. There's vision in the glory. Uh, Just lift up your hearts. If you want to respond, I want to just invite you to the front. If you just, there's nothing special about that, but just to say, Lord, I want to set my affections, I want to set my heart on experiencing your glory. I declare now, send forth the word of manifestations of glory amongst you and amongst us. I send forth the word of the glory of God coming in your house, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your bathroom, in your living room, your glory of God coming in your hall of residence, the glory of God coming in your workplace, the glory of God coming in your classroom, the glory of God coming in your college, the glory of God coming in your malls, the glory of God coming in your shopping centers, in, your, in the supermarkets, the glory of God coming because you're carrying the glory because you're carrying the glory, but the invitation is to more of the glory, to experience more. And the way that we experiencing we experience more is by hunger and adoration. That we hunger for the more, but in our hunger, that hunger turns to adoration as we see the God of glory. And as we see the God of glory, that adoration turns into hunger because we want more. And as we want more and we experience more, we get turned into adoration and we go up and up and up in his glory, because he's the spirit of glory. And all across the room now, Holy Spirit, we release. Would you release in every one of our hearts everything that would stop us from experiencing the glory and for seeing you, Jesus, in the way that you truly are. We stand against you, Satan, and we say the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and push you back. Everything that would hinder, everything that would stop us from living in the majesty of Christ, We push it back now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask that you would burn within us your glory. And on Friday night, Ash and I, we were just at the meeting and and Michael Koulianos, who Ash referred to, came and prayed for us. And the thing that he prayed for us is he said, I pray that that night and day you you will be tortured by the nearness of Christ.
that the nearness of Christ, it's not that he's a long way away and so we're tortured by how far he is. No, he's so close that we just can't help but want more. And that wanting more is almost like torture because we're just so consumed, we're so undone, we're so desperate, we're so hungry and we're so full of adoration that there's just his nearness is something that we just chase after and go for. And I declare and release that word right now over this community of people. If you want that, just take a hold of it. Take hold of it. Let that prayer become your prayer. Let this prayer, in fact, if you want to pray it with me, pray now. Let's pray together. Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would torture me with the nearness of your presence. Let's just take a moment to wait in His glory. You feel the weight of His presence. We welcome you, Spirit of glory. We welcome you, Spirit of glory. Imprint in us your glory, Lord. calls us to be a people of your presence. Eyes to see. Ears to hear. Not to go by what we know, but to keep in step with the Spirit. Open up the ancient doors. We open up the ancient doors that the King of glory, the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, come in. She Whom have we in heaven but you, Lord? And on earth there is no one that we desire except you. 
our heart and our flesh, they fail. But you, O oh Lord, are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. You are our portion forever. You're our portion. Receive your portion in your hearts. Receive your portion. Receive him as king. Receive him as the Lord of glory. Receive your portion. Your portion is way bigger than you think. Your portion is way bigger than you've experienced to date. Your portion is way bigger than the boxes and the limitations that you put upon yourself or upon the Lord. Your portion is Him, He's everything. Abba. Jesus. 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 You know, when, when we see the glory, we call out to God. We call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. Just call on Jesus' name. Just call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus. Jesus.